Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. I literally click a button. Ba-boom. Everyone's sick and tired of hearing about this button. They're like, what is this button you press? What is the button? It's recorded. It's, this is it's the, the magic button. Zoom record the yes. show button, right? Well, yeah. I can't wait to tell everyone about who the guest is today. Who is she? She's a mystery. She's amazing. She is an anti-PR strategist. Ooh. What? What? That's all right. We're going we're gonna to get into things like PR and anti-PR and and what is press? What is media these days, 2021? We're going to talk about it. She's an entrepreneur, thought leader, disruptor. I'd even say troublemaker, podcaster, <laughs> has her own show. And she comes from the crisis management side of the world. So we've got stories to tell today. Thought leader, chief evangelist, and anti-PR strategist at Johto PR Disruptors. Carla Joe Helms, welcome to the show. Woohoo! Hello, hello. That's fun. Yeah. You know what how, I want? I, I want whatever you wrote up about me so I you can give it? it to my team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, there's a running joke that some people take that and they put it as their wake up alarm clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, you know, as entrepreneurs, we need that sometimes because sometimes yeah. we're the bug and sometimes we're the windshield, right? True. True. It, yeah. It, it's, it, it, we just feel that wiper coming. Like it's coming to just... <laughs> Brush me off that windshield, throw me into the airstream. Splat. Splat. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of splat, I need to yes. pass you something. I'm going to pass you this. It's heavy, but. What is it? Okay. Okay. Here you okay. go. Thor's hammer. Grab it. You got Thor's it? Thor's hammer. I got it. Okay. Okay. There you go. Ugh. Sweet. All right. Wow. One-handed, like a back. One-handed. I'm a boss. You played tennis? I'm a boss. That was impressive. Okay. Take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, some kind of misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. It is absolutely bullshit that PR cannot be measured. Bullshit. It's busted. Bullshit. It's bullshit. So it, it can? It's, can, I mean, it, it just can. seems like- Maybe we just don't know what even PR is that we think it can't be measured. What is? What do people think it is? They think it's what, like press hits or something? They get too tactical. They get too in the weeds. It's a press uh, release. You know, people, it is, it is leading people by their minds. It is thought leadership in the thought realm. And people have a hard time putting mass to that. Because there is no- Leading by their minds. Mm, yeah, like it's that. thought. You know, you're creating a universe through public opinion. And before anything ever happens, people have a thought first. They have a thought about something, then they have an emotion, and then they act. So PR is in the realm of thought, and it is really hard sometimes for marketing practitioners to wrap their head around it. So they try to equate it down to what they know. And so they have to find a thing or a tangible, right? Oh, it's a press release. Oh, it's a media story. I mean, it's so vast. Mm. I mean- Think about controlling or manipulating or even, uh, you know, trying to direct public opinion. How vast is that? That is the gotcha. subject of PR, right? And we normally get tactical. So we try to just talk about the pieces of it as if that was the thing itself. Yeah. And, the you know, you, press, you find yeah. your more seasoned marketers. I've even listened to your podcast before. You know, they get really pissed mm -hmm. off when, um, you know, it's like uh, they get relegated down to writing a press release, right? Oh, sure. As you take offense at that. 
No, I don't. <laughs> I think they take offense to that and rightly uh. so because maybe they're dealing with CEOs or maybe they're dealing with people that don't know. And, you know, all of this attention and effort is being put on this one press release when they know at the end of the day, that's not going to make a bit of difference by itself. It's true. It's true. Right. Love that yeah. you're calling that out. Right. I, even a couple of months ago in my own company, we were like, Oh, let's put out a press release. And you're like, well, we just, but just why? Right. Yeah, why? Right. Yeah. And there are very exact reasons why, but if you don't know the math behind it, you don't know how it can be measured and you don't know really what you're doing, then you're going to F it up and you're not going to be able to measure it. And um, you're going to feel like you're being jilted, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You know, or the CEO wants to do it and, you know, maybe they go, oh, he just wants to be in the news. He likes to see himself, but you know, there is a mathematical reason for that. If you know how to use that with your marketing, you can really track it yeah, and you can get more ROI for your marketing for sure. So, so what is it then? What is it really? It, it's influencing the thoughts and you're like the original provocateur. You're changing people's minds or something. Yeah. I mean, it's happening to us on a daily basis all the time. People just yeah. don't realize that that's how good it is. Right. Um, and it's sure. been used and disabused, right. Sure. Throughout history, but let's put it into terms that people do understand. When there's a crisis, when your reputation's at stake, you had a breach, uh, your president's been embezzling funds from your bank for 26 years, oh, and you just find out, you know, someone gets caught, um, you know, in a uncompromising or a cop is it comp uncompromising compromising sexual position like you know situation yeah, yeah, yeah. like right? uber they had like shenanigans going on shenanigans in, in, in i love that stairwell. word yes they had shenanigans but in the stairwell they were like used devices shenanigans good word yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that stuff happens oh if i mince my words today it's because i'm hungry so i get a little like loopy sorry guys i, so I needed i, I needed the hamburger right before this words in to the yeah. French fries. like riled up so you're just like smashing more myths just i know if i had some french fries right now we'd be like full throttle right oh 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 so you'd be even even more hardcore if you had french even fries. more hardcore if I had so, somebody fries. got uh yeah <laughs> none of us have anywhere nearby <laughs> somebody get this woman french fries <laughs> so um crisis management let's go to a crisis yeah 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 okay what is the first thing that a corporation says when the shit hits the fan um Call the PR firm. Oh, okay. I was going to say, Hire ignore it, PR pretend firm. it didn't happen, but yeah. <laughs> mm, some might, but, oh, but... Call PR, okay. Call the PR firm. Why? Why do you think they do that? I'm asking you here. I'm, I'm... Yeah, no, no, no. I'm thinking about it. Um, They would call the PR firm because it's like, what do we do? Like, this is out. I don't know what to do next. At least that's yeah, my but why? Like, let's go down through the thought process. Okay. Like, so they don't know what to do, but why? What are the consequences of shit hitting the fan? Bad reputation, loss of trust from the customer, um, sales decline. But what is that always? Yeah. What does that always yeah, equal? Lose money. It yeah. costs you money. You're gonna lose sales. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Can't you can't sell, you can't hire, your marketing won't work. You may even be cut off from certain channels of being oh, able yeah. to Yeah, there's right? certain there's certain groups that like, you know, if you're part of the Salesforce ecosystem, 
probably shouldn't be all mouthing off to anyone in senior leadership on Twitter. And there have yeah. been some apps that have done that, you know, and it's like, if you, yeah, you, that happens and it gets to the, the boss in Hawaii. He can just cut you off the platform, cut you yeah. off. Right. Yeah. So, so it always goes down to money. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And so when we used to, uh, you know, and that was all I was doing and that was the part of my career, we would go in right to a company that was in trouble of these things that are happening, which I'm mm -hmm. all in, I cannot communicate what happened. I'm all under uh, NDAs with that. Right. But <clears throat> what we would do is we would look at the revenues, right? That was okay. our barometer. Really? And then, yeah. And then we, cause we have to stop the bleeding. So then we would develop the strategy of, all right, what's the landscape? What happened? What's the public opinion about it? How pissed off or upset are they? How big is that landscape? Like, Can you give me some examples of these kind of crises that happen in everyday companies that? Um, yeah. None I mean, of these situations your... uh, refer to anyone that you know. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, like just what I said, you have like um, breaches, right? Like, like, yeah, you lose passwords or stuff. You lose customer data. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that happens a lot, a lot more yep. than you think. Yep. Uh, the embezzlement thing, that's a very real thing. Embezzlement. Jeez, or so you have, it's not so uncommon to have, you know, you have a, a scrappy startup that has been taking over market share. They're interrupting the value network of some big behemoths. And some of these big behemoths can play nasty. So they actually start a libel or slander campaign, which ends up getting the startup or their competitor in a lawsuit, no kidding. And they get embroiled in that and something quote unquote leaks to the press, which is untrue. And then now you're, you're in a shitstorm. These things Jeez. all happen. This sounds nasty. Like I, I guess in my experience, I've sort of been under, under this radar, but I can imagine you get to a certain point, your company's like in the crosshairs is, is there yeah. certain size companies that get hit with this at some point or can anyone well, really, you know, once you actually hit the 5 million mark, I mean, yeah. you should really start looking to protect yourself via PR. And that's typically when companies that are growing, look for PR, a lot of, uh, CEOs really start looking for it at the 2 million mark when they're trying to differentiate, but 5 million, they're like, I got to protect my, if they're on a fast growth trajectory, right? Typically, but they're like, I got to protect myself. Now it becomes the CFOs, like, you know, it's protection of the assets. Protection right? money. Yeah. Protection the of risk, the, brand. the risk side. Yeah. Larger companies. Absolutely. That, you know, the bigger you get, I mean, 20% of the entire market cap is based off of goodwill. That's reputation. Mm. 20%, it's one fifth. So if you look at that from a private side, that's one fifth of your income. That's huge. So if you're not controlling public opinion or guiding it or getting people to think a certain way, it's controlling you, right? Right, right. You're either affecting it or it's affecting you. It's yeah. You're in the mix, you're in the sauce. You're in the mix, yeah. But let's go back to the measuring it, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so you're looking at all these particular factors when you have a crisis, right? Um, there's many factors. It's very, very mathematical, believe it or not. That's another myth. PR is not mathematical. It, they, people think it's fluffy or 
they think it's a nice, it's a nice industry. It's really kind of cutthroat. <laughs> um, so it's cutthroat and analytical. It's like the exact same. opposite of what people think it is. Oh, it's like flowery and I love talking to people. It's like, that's why I'm in PR, you know, <laughs> it's not that at all, right? You have to be very aware of your competitors, public opinion, the mindset, mm. just, you have to be a step ahead, right? Journalists, you know, mm -hmm. running stories, but back to the measurement. So we'd go in, okay, first of all, what happened? What do we know happened? What's on the surface? What's apparent that happened, right? Mm -hmm. We do have to get down to what really happened. That's all part of it. So investigation is part of that job, but okay. So how big is the target audience that was affected? How big is the audience beyond them that influences them that was affected, right? Could it be family members? Could it be politicians? Could it be, you know, government leaders? I mean, and you're mathematically looking at how big that market is that could really be affected very badly, right? In yeah. terms of what happened. Then you're looking at, what is the emotional level of the public or the different publics based on what happened? Is it, are they in anger about it? Are they in shock? Are they pissed? Like, are they in apathy? I mean, these all, these factor into the mathematical formula of the volume of communication that you have to put out to offset it. Interesting. So you, you actually calculate all these things out in like a big table. Yeah. It's like a war room, right? Wow. And then you look at the different audiences, which we call publics. There's no, there's not a mass public anymore. And you look at, okay, low hanging fruit. Who do we have to handle first? Right. What's our message to them? Right. And you look, you're working out your message to all, and you have to do this very fast, right? Cause people get pissed off when you wait too long. You know, you've ever seen yeah. a breach. And then the company doesn't reply for like a week. <laughs> yeah. You know, it happened to Garmin recently. Yeah, people get pissed. Garmin watches and there's apparently their site had one of those, I don't know it was Russian, but it had one of those like um, takeover bribery, whatever, you know, it take, it locked down their code and then they, they wanted like $10 million to release it or something. Oh, the ransom, the ransom ransomware. Like, yeah. Oh, and so man. this was like Garmin and, and so they're, their community portal was like not functioning, but it went on for weeks or maybe a week and a half, two weeks. I always felt long because you're trying to sync your data up and you can't. Yeah, they should have actually gone ahead of that in the news. They should have really gotten ahead of that. Well, what would you, okay, if you were working with Garmin, just as a quick aside here, then they have this ransomware happening. Kind of walk us through like, well, you'd have to work with the legal team, right? And without knowing everything that happened and being on the inside, I mean, legal, you work with legal a lot okay. on this, right? Sometimes you have to hire private investigators to see what happened. Yeah. But initially, um, what I would do right off the top, but only from what you've told me, yeah. right? Is, and let me tell you this, this, we work in the cybersecurity industry. I mean, even the best of companies have been affected by these type of ransomware sure. attacks. Sure, right? sure, gotta be ready. Yep. Um, I would have gotten ahead of it in the news. I would have said, 
you know, we've been attacked by ransomware. We're like, we have the, like, here's our protocols. Here was our weakness. People, I would have done it as if it can happen to Garmin, it can happen to you. And we're going to make sure that, you know, people know, uh, what to do so it doesn't happen to them. I mean, I would have, maybe uh, that campaign would have been an advocate, but I'd have to do all that research first. Like I mentioned in the war room, right. Yeah. Got a, you know, just get a crap load of positive press from it. Right. Mm-hmm. And more eyes on Garmin, right? Which when you get a crisis like that, one of the rules is you sequester off the communications team to work on the crisis and you make sure that the rest of the organization and the executive leadership is sequestered off and they work full tilt on production, marketing and production. So you don't get you don't get the key people embroiled in the crisis, right? Oh, good call. Cause they'll just take up their whole day. Yeah. Weeks, months, just weeks, months. And the next thing you know, they've lost market share or they've lost customers. So that's one thing you do, but then, you know, garner a lot of positive press about that. Of course, all in coordination with legal, right? Which is is that tied to, is that true? Like the no, there's no such thing as bad press, bad press is good press. That whole thing. Um, no. Okay. So like, oh, we, we, we have a scandal. More people will buy our app now, you know? If you work it right. If you yeah. Work it, yeah. But what, I mean, if that was the case, then people wouldn't care about calling a crisis PR in it, right? Right. They'd be like, hey, yeah. we're going to get more sales today. <laughs> right. But to your point, don't take the foot off the gas on the business just because you have this thing. No, in fact, you have to pour the coals on because you're... Um, resistance to selling the resistance to your brand has increased like three right. times, 10 times, whatever. So it is expensive, but you can get out of it and not only stop the hemorrhaging, but you can get out of it and increase your revenues. So, so we do all of these mathematical equations and it's part psychological. It's yeah. part yeah. mathematics, right? It's based off of engineering laws too. Okay. Well, t- tell me about some of those psychological. Well, psychological is based on emotional. So it's like okay. emotional, psychological data, right? Um, if someone is pissed off and really angry, you don't, they have a certain, they'll only like accept certain sort of truths. Um, they're reactive. They're prone to sort of lying or spreading false data because they're pissed. I mean, have you ever talked to an angry guy? Yeah. Not very rational, right? No. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm angry, I'm not very rational. Right. right? Um, Okay. So let's take someone that's in grief. Okay. Completely different mindset. Can they, they more readily accept the most like alarming facts, believe it or not. Um, it's very easy to bowl them over. It's, you know, so like when you're talking to your kids, if they're crying and bawling, you're not going to be like, if you really want to reassure them, you're not going to be, you're going to do it in a certain way. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's the same way on a mass scale. You have to really understand that. Okay. I like this. So the the piss people, um, how how do you deal with them? How do you, how do you, they don't want to hear your bullshit. They don't want to hear your facts. Ah, it's all lies anyways. You know, how do you, how do you, you got a bunch of piss customers? Well, that's another time. aspect of it because when you're doing this whole strategy and you find these particular publics, right? You're identifying yeah. them. 
um, you have to figure out who their thought leaders are uh, and you go, and that's how you convince those particular markets and you get on those channels of communication. They'll listen to that. Right. So if somebody's pissed off, I mean, you want to acknowledge how pissed off they are like, yeah, I fucking get it. Of course you wouldn't communicate that in a corporate setting. Right. But similar, like not okay. Like, <laughs> but you deflect the attention on the true target. Right. Yeah. The situation. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's part of how you handle them. Interesting. And then, and then you don't want to be too alarmed too. I mean, you want to like appropriate, like kind of like not boredom, but like calm, a little bored, you know, communicate the facts. Like this is what happened. They'll listen to that. You know, um, wow. somebody in like, grief or apathy when i say grief i mean they're really upset about it oh my god what's gonna happen to me my life isn't you know i'm a, i'm a, i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose my identity like right um oh i see yeah 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 you know identity theft you know i've just been getting back on my feet like so it's a reassuring message at that mm. time right and you have to really supply them with even more data than okay. people that are uh, that emote more like people that emote yeah. more like antagonistic people or enthusiastic people. They don't need as much communication or reassurance, right? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So any, any other emotions come to mind? The standard, you mentioned the, the apathetic folks. I don't really give a shit, you know, like, meh. well, I mean, you know, sometimes when you get into very highly educated folks, mm. um, they're very, um, conservative in the sense that not politically but they can be like they like to weigh the pros and cons if you ever ask them a question they're gonna say well you know i liked this but i didn't like this or this you know um so that's another sound like my people <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you have to give them yes, yes. you know but yeah yeah exactly so that's you know that's another huh you know particular emotion and when I say it's mathematical, it's not only how big the market is, but like how much do we have to communicate to this market to bring them up the scale to trust us again? Yeah. So if someone's like, hey, tell me what happened. Like, oh, I, yeah, I totally get it. They're handled. Yeah. But lower and lower and lower, depending on how much they've been abused or how much they feel like they were hurt or whatever. It's, you know, it can be years worth of communication to bring them back up the scale. Right. I see how each group, each different segment, public, publics, then they they need their own special treatment. And to talk to one of them like the other one would be like a disaster. Treat yeah, them it's, pissed it's off person fault. like a grief person. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, remember the BP oil spill and it's yeah. like trying to talk to everybody the same and put out these blanket canned responses, which end up upsetting people even more is um, just really like kindergarten Interesting. PR. So what would you do differently in the BP? It's situation? the same thing. It's the same thing. I mean, that was horrific. It's the same strategy. Yeah. So tell me about it. Would you have, would you <clears throat> find a way to address certain groups? And you'd have to, I mean, look at all, like you'd have to address all the businesses and the chambers along the coastline. You'd have yep. to address the environmentalists. You'd have to address the, 
um, there actually is a term, it's called the cave people and it's citizens against virtually anything, everything. <laughs> it's oh actually my great, gosh. Um, you, you'd have like, seriously, those are different publics, right? You'd have to address all of that. Um, and, and then of course, like the government, oh my gosh, um, the industry itself, um, you know, all these, you know, wildlife um, advocates. I mean, it's just, the, it goes on endlessly. And then the families, I mean, don't forget the people and the families and the employees and, you know, the stockholders. And Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so these, all these different groups, I, a lot of them are probably pissed. You could just assume or no. Well, yeah, because first of all, something happens. Yeah. The media is going to cover it. Yeah. Instantly. In, yeah. Uh, if you haven't gotten there first. Right. right. So in terms of emotion, I mean, I guess some families might have more grief, but you can have a lot of pissed off businesses, pissed off. Oh, and shock. Yeah. And, shock. Um, shock. Yeah. Right. I mean, like the tourist industry. Like, forget wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Where, where was that off of? Was that New Orleans? That, that uh, it was along the whole Gulf, Gulf Coast. I mean, it hit oh, it in Florida all the way through, right? Is that the deep, um, the deep water horizon one? Is that what that was? I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, but even in those particular campaigns, like you have different stages like first you're mitigating the damage and you're getting the information and you're being as transparent as possible and you're updating the media on this because of course they're going to want to cover it this gives them more attention more eyes right yeah. um but then you're also looking at what can we do uh to continue to get turn the tide on public opinion and help these communities recover. I mean, everything that they did to help the tourism industry or, you know, when they had to pay back the money, they should have done PR campaigns around all of that. You know, the, the, yeah. the environmentalists, I mean, this is where it can get expensive, but you, you do track it connected to the revenues, right? So you look at, all right, this particular audience is one you know, a percentage of our revenues and let's, that's the low hanging fruit. They're the most upset. Let's, you know, look at where our revenues were, where they got cut to. Okay. Let's do the campaign to them. Mm -hmm. And we watch the sales and the revenues and the marketing uh, uh, ROI to that group again. Right. Cause then marketing channels can like, you can spend, you know, so much in marketing, it's not working because everybody hates you. Right. So there are actual uh, statistics you monitor. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point that, it, yeah, instead of just trying to hold your finger up to the wind, how's it, how's it going? Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, yeah. that, and that's how we got paid. It was, yeah. you know, that's why we could actually justify because we are turning it around and you could see that, right? Yeah. So I had, you know, a few clients, we, we turned them around. Sometimes it was, you know, these campaigns can go on for a long time, depending on how badly you mess up. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, but I had a particular client, they were, you know, they were going to be sued like class action lawsuit by every, uh, AG in the country. They would have been put out of business, right? Seriously. Seriously. And every eight, like that's when you get into, now you got problems. <laughs> every yeah, attorney general when, wants to, 
from every 50, every all well, 50 if they had one, if, if one particular <laughs> attorney general had won this case, that they, they were setting it up for a class action lawsuit with all 50 states from all AGs. It was pretty big. And so it was, we absolutely could not let that happen, right? Um, but after years of doing this and we, <clears throat> it, it came out, they came out all rosy, you know, um, the CEO noticed that his litigation costs for like we set up, then we set up a proactive PR campaign to keep a, a goodwill fund going on, right? And communicating. Yep. Um, and he said, you know, the cost of my litigation has actually gone down way past industry standard, right? Mm -hmm. So much so that when we're getting audited, the um, control boards don't believe us. Mm. And I thought, he said, you know, could you apply all of your crisis management methodologies, tactics, whatever it is, to some of my startups that are unknown? And I thought, well, corollary works. It's very scientific. It works on one side, it works on the other. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. For yeah. three years, I did basically R&D and, you know, research and development and worked with different companies, different industries and worked out what worked, what didn't work. And then that's how we, that's how we were born basically. Right. Wow. And so you, so you, yeah, so you've really done the math and the science to figure out what are the effective levers to pull. So you're not just swinging wildly in some fight. You're like, ah, oh, let's try this. You're like, no, yeah, we don't have bright idea. itis. like, let's try this campaign. Like, yeah. Like an ad bomb. creative agency. Oh, I don't know. Let's, Let's give away free bags to pick up the oil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, so when you talk to people about crisis management, people get it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can flip the corollary and you can apply that to something that's unknown. You can create the same strategy for an unknown company or a company that used to be on top, but it's no longer on top or mm. a company that wants to take it to the next level. Uh, or you have your CMOs or your, you know, global marketing directors that want to really use PR like this mathematically to okay. know, go into a new market. So when you explain it like that, they get it. Yeah. And then yeah. it becomes, you know, how do we do that? Okay. And how well, are we I was just going to ask you it? that. Yeah. Like, oh, how do I, how do I leverage that? Yeah. Well, you do the same sort of strategy, right? Okay. But you're doing it from the viewpoint of, okay, who's the market? What's yeah. their emotional psychology, you know, psychological mindset? How big is it? How big of a market share do we want? Right? What is that cadence of, you know, who are their thought leaders? Who are the media outlets that they get their news from? That's huge. Third party credibility is humongous today. Mm. Um, how are we going to track that exposure against our um, traffic to our website. How are we going to track it to our marketing dollars? Right. Like, um, you know, it's like, it's like AB testing. It's like before and after, right. Yeah. We were doing this type of marketing. The only control we, the only thing we added, the only control we added was the PR. Right. Yep. Um, and then you measure it that way. Hmm. And, uh, by market research, uh, the C-suite, uh, typically feels like 
PR should be measured by overall business, overall new business, overall business, right? CMOs and marketing people, they want to, um, they want to look at the marketing ROI. They want to look at the traffic to the website, which is very key, right? Um, and then you have your sales uh, teams that they look at. Um, oh, marketing also looks at cost per lead over a period of time. Yeah. Right. And then um, sales, um, you know, your CSOs or your sales directors, or if they're brought into the, you know, PR equation, they look at uh, the time of close, like how long it takes to close. Okay. Right. Does it in, does it shorten? Yeah. So with that, it's met. <sighs> it's measurable. You, it, I guess, well, I, sometimes it can be so broad. That it's like, was that actually PR or was that just, but aren't you fine? I mean, I find that, I mean, yes. Um, companies more sophisticated they get in their reporting and so forth can really get granular and track this. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can still see it on companies that don't, but it's still the attribution marketing question today. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. I saw your, article in Forbes made me go to your website. Now I'm being retargeted by your, your ads, right? Yeah. You're retargeting ads. I go sure. back to your website. Maybe I, you know, download an ROE book. Good. I'm on your email now. I'm like getting that and right. And so yeah. you have to have this sort of weighted cadence of what caused that. Some people right. are really sophisticated about it. Some people are not. Um, but you can still, you can still track it no matter how rudimentary you are. Smart. How, how do you, how do you get started? You're like, I'm like a marketing VP and I heard this podcast. I'm like, that sounds like a competitive advantage. It sounds like some good shit right here. Like how, how do you, you just, you go you reach out to a PR firm and you're like, Hey, nothing's nothing bad has happened yet. We're actually trying to do grow here, you know, help us out. And they just, they pitch you and what, what's the best way to make that work? Um, well, they want to look at, uh, typically when they get to that point, they're looking at, um, key differentiate, like what's going to differentiate us in our market even mm -hmm. more. They do understand the value of media and the buzz that it facilitates, you know, with marketing, they need to be considered the thought leader. Does there have um, to be a story? Like, do you have to invent a story? You always have to have a story. You do. It, it's what creates news today. It's never, look at this company has this solution. It's look at, look at this problem, right? Um, and then it gets down to the particular uh, companies or people in that industry or thought leaders in that space, lending their opinion on it. Right. And what can mm -hmm. be done about it, but it's always based off of some harm or controversy or some big name or, um, you know, money, money, loss, money, gain, stock price. Um, you know, what's the opposing view? Um, wear masks. Don't wear masks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All the different, um, invalidation of something, right. It's like, it is a formula, right? So you have to really look at, okay, number one, do they have a story and what are they doing? Is it really contributing 
to um, helping people through these issues, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about product PR. I'm not talking about, um, well, it could be, you know, consumer products, but that's typically different. I'm talking about a lot of your B2B companies and services. Totally. Right? Yeah. And that's a lot of people listening to. Yeah. Yeah. So do number one rule, don't ever talk about your products and services. Talk about the problems that your clients are facing, right? So what are, you know, the, the problems that, um, for instance, trucking carriers, right. Or, um, retail, uh, shops like Amazon and uh, FedEx and all of those that are, you know, delivering goods, what problems are they facing by having a shortage of 90,000 truck drivers a month in the U S right. How is that affecting the shipping goods and this and that, and your product, uh, say trains truck drivers on simulators to get them trained faster and get hired faster and yada, yada, yada. You speak to that problem. Gotcha. Natural consequence uh, in communication, they want to know, well, how would you solve that? How would you solve that, Casey? Right, right. You know, what's good, going it's like on? How good would... marketing. Same yeah, advice. It's great marketing. We don't talk about who you, are, who you are and what you do in your brand new website. No, it's the problems that you're out there battling to try to you're, solve. You're battling. You know, you're yeah. solving it. Or say you're going against the status quo and you're like, this is not okay anymore. Like I have a app that actually shows the transparency and prices of healthcare in my, you know, a hundred mile radius. Why is an MRI over here 600 bucks, but it's a thousand dollars a block away. Yeah. Like those kind of stories. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not you saying it, it's somebody else saying it. Right. Somebody else who has the attention of say a million people or mm. 10 million people or 30,000 people, right? So where that's do, one aspect. Okay. Yeah. Where, where do things like, like Instagram, you know, thought leader, I guess, Instagram like stars where they've got millions of followers and is that just another part of the equation? You're like, okay, who... Who does this yes. public listen to? Mm-hmm. And then you go after them, whatever medium they happen to be on. Yeah. It's okay. another part of the equation. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I kind of see you in like some, some laboratory with this huge chalkboard, you know, chalk, <laughs> just writing all these symbols <laughs> on the board. It's huge equation. It, yeah. Well, it is, it, it is actually kind of like that. Right. Yeah. People don't really know that about us or, you know, even this section of the industry, there's not a lot of us, there's not a large percentage of us that have this crisis training. Right. But. Yeah. I like the analytical aspect to it. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so you call a PR firm up, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Back to that. And it's good. What I'm finding is that people are asking very antiquated 50 year old, mm-hmm. 70 year old questions. Yeah, like, like, like they just watched Mad Men and they want to like. Yeah, like, you know, who like roll the decks is not it. But, you know, who are your media contacts? Right. And oh. where are you located? Because they think you have to be in New York or somewhere like that to be, have access to the media today. Um, or like how many people are in your firm? These are all very antiquated, stupid questions that are not going to get you the data that you need to have a PR campaign developed for you that is going to start getting your tar- markets to think a certain way. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Those are all distractions. Those are like little tactical. What well, are the old. right questions to ask? What yeah. should they be asking? Well, they should be asking. Uh, well, they should be listening first. I mean, I don't see how you can pitch a company without letting them know that they need a strategy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. We can do this, this, this. Yeah. How do you know? Right. right. I mean, you can give a good estimation if it's an industry that you work in or, you know, several industries that you work in and so forth. And, you know, you know, the climate of public opinion and you know, the media and so forth, but yeah. you truly need to find out what is their strategic process and what is very first thing is a strategy and what does that strategy entail and what do they do? Mm -hmm. What is the market research that they do? What is the industry research that they do? Right. Right. You know, research into the target publics that they're selling to, right? The mindset, the media that's going to be targeted to reach those, the messaging, the positioning, how that relates back to the marketing plan, the business plan, mm -hmm. the mission statement of the company. Right. Right. That's a, if they don't, if, if they don't know how to do that or they kind of skirt around that issue or they don't do that, I'd say run. Mm hmm. You know, They're it's just not about, we're going to put out 10 press releases. Yeah. Give me, give me some more data, right? 10 yeah, why? press releases. Why? Yeah. What? Right. Hmm. Yeah. You a more strategic partner who's thinking more about this. Uh, yeah. The, and the, like, what's your marketing audience. plan? Like, where are you, go, do you, are, are yeah. you having, do we need to go ahead of you in this particular market and create the buzz? Like, this is what venture capitalist companies, when they, they refer clients to us, all these startups, right? And they say, okay, look, um, this com company needs to break in, like they're an insure tech startup, right? And, um, you know, they want to get buzz created so they can get a return on their investment. So the marketing dollars work, right? They're, yeah. It's all about getting their money back and right. more, right? Right, okay. So companies should ask those particular questions regarding strategy and um, you know, what that's going to take to help their company. Right. And they should, you really shouldn't pitch. Like we don't pitch. We ask questions. Okay. We ask questions and questions and questions and questions and questions till we wrap our, our wits around it. And then we pitch very little, it goes to strategy. It comes back and we say, this is what you need to do and why. And you should hire us because X, Y, and Z, or yeah, you should hire someone else. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that sounds like the mark of a real, a real consultative approach or someone who's actually taking the time to think about the challenge. It's just, you need to you know, make choices in that direction. No matter what yeah. you're doing, you need to talk well, to Well, right I mean, people. it's just, if you don't get results or, you know, you can't get results on it, it's don't take it because if you just, you not only ruin your reputation, you really hurt the client, right? They yeah. spend all you this waste a hell of a lot of money too in it. the process. So yeah. Yeah. Where, where yeah. do you see this going? Like COVID days, things change. Have you seen media have you seen pr change have you seen yes audiences what what are you seeing and what do you where do you see this going because i know we're still in it yeah well uh it was interesting i mean the lock when the lockdown happened um you know the media 
let's just like the, the media is a big part of PR, mm-hmm. right? When we're talking about this kind of PR, even when you're doing government relations or community relations, um, you work with the media because government legislators, politicians, they actually think what's in what's published is public opinion. They think that's public opinion, right? Um, but when we went to lockdown, all the media, like we work with thousands of journalists weekly. I mean, they all went into furloughs. They all went into lockdown. They all went to remote workforce. It was all new to them. So here they are wrestling with that. It's all new. And their um, demand for content from the editors and planning producers and basically the public, now we're glued to the news, has been increased tenfold, 20-fold. And they were um, desperate for stories, right? They don't drive around and troll for stories. They work with agents like us who bring them the stories, right? So a lot more like virtual. um, Well, we started a quarantine press conference where we were doing virtual press conferences um, open to the media in whatever industries. And we had our clients on as a panel and we invited the public to it as well, Hmm. right? like real-time data about what was happening. So supply chain issues, how is that affecting technology firms? How is that affecting, you know, getting these Fortune 500 companies back, you know, up and running on remote workforces because they can't get their hardware shipped, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, So where do I see it going? Yeah. I see it going more into network, just like that. That was more like network. It was almost like networking. Let's get a bunch of people on Zoom, (laughs) right? Mm Mm-hmm. And let's let the public get involved. The public could ask questions at the press conferences. The press were there. They were listening to the public ask. That's sort of like a network. And you have this decentralization from New York and the hubs of where big media has been. And now you have, this has been happening over the past few years, but I've really seen it since COVID. You have all these media outlets podcasters, influencers popping up all around the world that are now targeting super segments of our population and they're growing, Mm -hmm. right? And that's replacing big media. Yeah, totally. And that's that's just going to be more and more where it goes. So people go, the media is going away. Yeah, but everything that's being replaced by it's being replaced a hundredfold by so many other things you actually have a better chance of getting your message out to targeted audiences with your message. Yeah. It's like the, the need doesn't go away. The, the desire to consume this information is still there. It's just the people serving it up. People are choosing to have other people serve it up. I think about like the space industry and there's a bunch of particular nerd thought leaders on YouTube that are often wherever Elon is or for the next launch of starship nine or starship eight and they're awesome and they and you can watch the launch live from them and yeah they, they are the thought leader they have yeah. millions of followers why would it it'd be boring to tune into a, a regular network to watch that when you can have this guy and his commentary or gal and talking about what you're watching or about to watch it's really cool so it, it's a it's a better value 
and it's a it's a different source so it's almost i wonder if it makes it pr that much more important because it's no longer in, oh there's like five targets and it's easy it's like no they're all over the place and you gotta you gotta find them and you gotta work with them yeah well i can just tell you by all the reach that we get you know i always look at marketing and sales as a barometer of what's happening in our industry or with companies that we you know, the industries that we serve and yeah. people are really realizing that. So the answer is yes, it's become more valuable. Yeah. And, um, you know, people today, just like, you know, have a playlist, you have a media playlist and they go to a minimum of 12 media sources for information. They may go to big box media or mainstream media used to before the, co before the pandemic, they'd go like once a week and then they would kind of corroborate that news with their channels. Mm -hmm. And of course, today you, you get served up ads or things based on what you're watching off of other channels. <laughs> so there's always, oh, let's add this one to my playlist. And so you have this news playlist. And so that, yes, yeah, it's super crazy. It's constantly changing too. Well, my next question is like, who are you? <laughs> How who do you am know I? all these things? Who <laughs> can you take us back to like little KJ days, like growing up? Where did you grow up? What was it like? Did you always know you're going to be a, a anti PR strategist? No, you always make people feel so good on your show because <laughs> <laughs> we're always asking the questions in our professions, right? right? As marketers, yeah. ours, right? Yeah. Um. No, actually, I had no idea I was going to go into PR. I was a dancer, believe it or not. Sweet. I was, um, yeah, I always thought I'd be a dancer. I started at five and, um, you know, very interesting. I, I, I'll give you a little background before the dancer thing, right? Oh, yeah. Is that, um, I, I grew up on an Island in Texas. I grew up, grew up in Galveston Island oh, and, wow. um, my parents are, um, you know, we got transferred there. My parents are deep Southerners, right? Okay. They come from deep South. You don't have the accent though. No, no. Uh, my dad's side of the family, um, they were all, um, we call them educated Hicks, <laughs> sort of a, sure. Uh, his, um, you know, they were really poor. They were sharecroppers. Oh, no kidding. They were really poor. They were sharecroppers. It was like, like five families that lived in a household, right? And um, his generation, my dad, my uncle, all of the cousins in that generation, they got out of poverty with ball scholarships. So basketball, baseball, yeah. football, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, you know, Miami, right? Right. And, um, so he, so when we moved to Galveston, um, you know, they were well, they were like successful at that particular point. And I went to a private school, but because I was not part of the old money and born on the island, mm -hmm. right? Um, I was bullied mercilessly, right? Because you weren't super rich or you just, yeah, you weren't in, you weren't in that class. You weren't, you weren't yeah. part of old money. You weren't. Yeah, there was. So I, so I put all my attention on dance, right? That was my outlet. Yeah. Okay. And, um, dad at, I think I was like the age of 12. Okay. So he went to Georgia tech, right? So he's like got this engineering mindset. Cool. So he, 
he'd been, I didn't know this till many years later, but he calculated my grade point average from the time I was five years old. So, you know, all the way through school. But by the time I was 12, he went to this private school and he says, you know, her grade point average has been going down like steadily, like since. And he has this, you know, statistical information. Maybe that's where all my mathematics comes from, right? Yeah. And he said they couldn't give him a good answer. So he researched and he put me into public school where they actually had better education programs because the public school, we only had one public high school. So it was huge. We had like 4,000 students. So a thousand in each class. Right. Yeah. Um, and I got put into public school and that was like the first time I was really accepted. Really? Right. Yeah. Like, and so all these private school was full of a bunch of spoiled rich kids that were just all not including it. it. And then massively suppressive. <laughs> right. Jeez. And in public school, Yeehaw, oh man, man, like we had all these disparate, you know, socioeconomic, uh, you know, groups and, you know, they would just say and do anything they pleased, And it wasn't all of this, like, you know, all the etiquette and the this and the that, that you were so like confined to and, you know, private school. Yeah. And you can wear and your I own just, clothes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was, um, and that's really when I started to see like, a difference in people and how people responded, different people responded to certain things and how they were accepted. And I became like, you know, Colonel of the dance team and I was, you know, became wildly wow. popular and it was just a complete flip. Right. And that must've been, I mean, did you realize at the time how like bizarre it was to go from being like the bottom to being like at the top? Yeah, it was bizarre. And I, but I always appreciated it because, you know, when you're cool. at the bottom and you're at the bottom for, you know, at that time, the first half of my life, right? Yeah. You really do. Like, it's almost shocking. Like somebody said hi to me. Somebody was nice to me. Somebody liked me. Somebody. Right. And then yeah. you appreciate, you appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. Really and you're, you're a better person at the top too. If you, you're not going to, you're not going to do what everyone else would do at the top would just be to try to push other people down and. You yeah, because you really appreciate the people that truly are like maybe disadvantaged, yeah. right? Or yeah. underserved. Um, so I think that's where I kind of got my chops, my initial chops in understanding and really being able to see different viewpoints mm. of people. And then I went to college. I was a collegiate athlete. I was on a, a dance team, but we traveled all over the world. You went for, for dance, right? You went to school for huh? dance? Did you go for, what'd you go to school yeah. for? Yeah. Dance. Dance. Yeah. I was a dance major as well. Um, That's cool. That's cool. You can even major in that. That's awesome. I know. Now, is you that, can... Did you like grow up doing like ballet and tap and ballet, all the different. Tap, jazz, um, you know, modern. So when I went to school, modern was my, my thing. Right. That seems to be the thing, right? You get to be the most expressive with that. Yeah. And it was new and different. It yeah. seemed, I mean. Yeah. And then I would, I belonged to a prestigious, um, you know, precision dance team, kind of like a drill team. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, I got picked for that and we traveled all over and we were, um, we were like professional grade, but collegiate, we had, you know, big sponsors, oil tycoons, like the Shriners hospital, you know, now they have wow. airlines and yeah. So I got sort of like this performance celebrity life and then I broke my, <laughs> and then I broke my back. 
No. Um, yeah. How? And then my life, like, well, you know, we're doing, it's really grueling. We're, we were performing like 30 hours a week, right? What? Wow. Jeez. You know, you miss holidays and things like that when you're hired for this or that, or you're, you know, going certain places. They hire and, you out like 30 hours a week? Well, no, when we, we would go on, you like, practice. say we perform at the Cotton Bowl or in the Macy's Day Parade, or we perform at the President's did you, Inauguration. Did you, and were you in the Macy's Day Parade? Yeah. What year? Go look up the archives. <laughs> I have to go look up the archives. Yeah, it was, it was um, 80, 88, 89. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we would do that. And um, I... You know, it's just hard on the body. Like we would have injuries. Girls would have knee oh, injuries sure. or this or that. And I just had several vertebrae on my fracture. I mean, like fractured vertebrae, several fractures on my vertebrae that, yeah, they had to stop me from dancing, put me in a back. You just were doing some moves over and over again. And that just sort of. Oh yeah. You know, if anybody is interested, like look up the Kilgore College Rangerettes and just look at the stunts that they do and the high kicks and the jump splits and the. Rangerettes. Yeah. So they're just doing a bunch of, you're just really pushing the extreme. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like extreme dancing, right? They're still around today. They've been around since 1940. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was devastating. <laughs> I, I got to imagine your whole life has been dance. Your outlet has been dance. Everything. My yeah. whole life, my outlet. My, yeah. So I was in a back race, unable to dance. Um, and then, you know, by year 20, I was 20, 21, my life felt over, right? I bet. And my dad kept trying to help me. He, you know, I was probably recalcitrant, super depressed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had gone, I said, okay, I'll change my major. I went into poli sci and I was like, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my dad kept saying, you know, you should go into PR. And I'd be like, what? Yeah, you should go into PR. Um, you you know you you know how to talk to people. You know how to talk to different people. And he did that for about six months, and he would go through every gamut of PR position possible. And by the time he got to social worker, which I don't know where he picked that, I was just like, you know what? That's it. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> if you like. I'm not a social worker. Yeah. I'm not a PR person. I'm a dancer. Like, just let me. <laughs> right. Dad, I'm a dad. Come on. Yeah. So I, so I was like, F you, I'm going to quit school and I'm just going to go to the workforce and figure it out. And my, he was very, very mad at me for that. But I did just to spite him. And I got hired by a healthcare company who I went in to apply for a receptionist. Right. Mm -hmm. And they said, in the interview process, I think it was second or third interview, you know, you'd, you'd really be great in our PR program. <laughs> what? And so you're like, did my dad call you? Did, did <laughs> right. he call in advance? Yeah. So that's how I ended up. And then I, uh, you know, got training in that. And that's where I really, uh, were you, you know, kicking and screaming then too, or was it a where you're like, maybe there's something to this. People keep telling me. Well, I mean, if somebody says it besides my dad, I would have listened. Totally right. Parents <laughs> right? say, like, get out of here. You don't know anything. <laughs> but it, it seemed like, I don't think he, he didn't even know I was getting that job. So yeah, it was, <laughs> I was like, huh. Anyway, and that's really, I, I got to work with some of the best 
crisis PRs, I think on the planet, the best litigation attorneys, I learned so much. Like that's just kind of how my life took me. So I have a mixture. I have this appreciation of different publics, obviously. Um, Well, you've been different publics, right? Throughout your life. You've, yeah, you've, you've been different ones. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And then the performance aspect, PR is all performance, Mm -hmm. you know, handling nasty reporters that are, you know, is all performance, right? Right. Um, Discipline of a, you know, an athlete. That's like, so it's this, it's this weird combo that I think contributes to, you know, how I got into this. And I like a good fight. I like a really good fight. So I don't know, maybe that's the Texan in me. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) All the people I know from Texas are like, they, they know how to throw down for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we like, we like, we like a good fight when it's for a good cause and you know, who doesn't like championing the underdog, right? Yeah, save the Alamo, man. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, have you ever been to the Alamo? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's really small and deep, it is, right? Tiny. Like, like it's super small. I was very disappointed when I went there when I was 10 years old, I thought, you know, it's like every, the way they talk about it, the PR about it, right? It's yeah, this humongous place. It's like glorified, and it's like this tiny little hole in the wall, little little hut, little, little hut. shanty that yeah. Apparently, a bunch <laughs> of dudes were like, "We're staying here." Yeah, right. Oh, man, well, I, I have a hypothetical for you. Okay, let's say I may or may not have. It sounds like a PR response. I may or may not have a time machine up here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. Um, it may actually be in my backyard covered in a tarp, but let's say, I, let's say I have one, you know, after okay. COVID you come up, we get all the acorns off of it and you know, wipe it down and everything, but you get to go back in time to see yourself and you get to see yourself right after you graduated school, right after you sort of got out of school, you, you got into mainstream, you're having those PR conversations and all that kind of stuff. You're right about then, you're having that conversation. Um, what would you say to that version of you? What would you say to her? Okay. What kind of advice would you give her? What time period? Like at what? It's like right after school. You're getting out of school. Oh. Going into the workforce. You don't. You don't necessarily know if it's PR yet. A couple of people. Yeah. Can do. Oh my gosh, that's a You've experienced a lot, you know, personally, professionally. What kind of things would you tell yourself if you could see yourself again? Don't do drugs. Okay, don't do drugs. (laughs) We didn't get to that in your history. So do we need to go back to that? Well, you know, I, in the six months that I was really trying to figure things out and you're at the lowest point in life, right? And you smoke a joint or you do something like that. I hope this doesn't, you know, offend anyone that was definitely not the way to figure things out well your back was broken so unless people also have broken backs then they can shut the hell up right like <laughs> yeah so right? you were in a tough spot so you're trying to try and think it was out. a tough spot but yeah. you know i say that now because um i do believe at that it took a while for my mental acuity to really come back because when I was thrown into the workforce and i ended up doing what my career was i i was a little like I wasn't as sharp as I was as an athlete, really? right? Yeah. It was very noticeable. Like, cause you have to think on your feet and you have to, and I really wanted to do something with my life. And I felt like 
for some reason, you know, whoever above has given me this opportunity. And I do remember for a good six months to a year that I felt sluggish, slow, not as my mental acuity was a little, like it took a while to get that back. And I do believe it was because of that. It could have also been the just like not working out as much too. Oh yeah, totally and completely. Um, But you know, as a person, I mean, that was my reality. And um, I just felt foggy. I hear you. Completely foggy. And I think that I I would have actually figured things out sooner. um, You know, had I not resorted to that particular path. Yeah. 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 So, you know, luckily it was only like a, a stint in my life, but, um, sure. that's what, that's what I would have, people always say, what would you do differently? I wouldn't do anything differently. That's the one thing that I would never do again though. Interesting. Yeah. You know, when I asked this question, I, I asked this question to everyone. Um, no one is really using that time to avoid a, a, a path. Usually they're just encouraging themselves or telling themselves to like, look, look over here, maybe just a little bit sooner, you know? Well, the encouragement would have been, I I needed to believe in myself because, you know, you, your whole life is deflated and you could go, well, I didn't have, you know, I had all my eggs in one basket. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But it was really like life bleeds, man. Like believe in yourself. I didn't believe in myself for that period of time. And I went down a path that I don't think, uh, was very healthy. Yeah. And now what is it? CrossFit paddleboard surf? <laughs> yes. Do it up. All of the above. Yes. Yes. People, you can't get you out of the gym at this point. You just no, got you I of- mean, that's a big part of my life, right? Yeah. It always has been right. You're able to do a lot of that still, even the back, like, is it, is it the back healed now, completely perfectly? Um, really? yeah. Have you called the Rangerettes back up and been like, what's up? <laughs> no. I got some money. I mean, I go back and visit them, business. right? Yeah. yeah. I go back and visit them. Um, That's cool. But yeah, my tenure was over there. You know, when I had my broken back, I wouldn't have been able to go back in. And totally. competitive sports is oh. when you're out for six months or a year, you're kind of toast, right? You're so, out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it healed perfectly. I have no issues with that. It's a long gone thing. And um, yeah, I'm as active as ever. That's awesome. Do you have any favorites these days? Any favorites? As yeah, far any as favorite what I like outdoor adventures? I got a new bike. Yeah. I got a new like a bike. Uh, or a... It, no, I had one. I had one of those Cannondales. And then I got into the folding bike scene. Do you like folding bike? Yeah, nice. <laughs> and so. There's a Brompton. If any of our listeners know what a Brompton is, there are these folding bikes and they make them in London. Brompton. They make them in the UK. Okay. Um, and wow. they're super cool. You can travel with them. Um, can you put them like a suitcase? Off. Like how? Yeah, I'm you can at put them now. in a suitcase. Cool. Not that expensive yeah. either. Oh, REI has them. That's cool. REI has a Brompton? Yeah. How much are they selling them for? That's a good question. H6R folding bike. It is, that's not a Brompton. Oh, two, what? 2K? Yeah, that's about right. Two, okay. 3K. Yeah, it's, it's um, 1999. Yeah, sometimes they, well, the newer ones are, you know, can be very expensive. But I really like riding those uh, along uh, the water or the beach or, yeah. 
not on the beach because they have really tiny tires, but they do um, look tiny tires. It's almost like a little, but they're cute, like, aren't they? They are cute. Yeah. Especially if it folds up, doesn't take a million spots, nope. especially if you condo life. It's like, great. You know, you can throw it in your car. You don't have to get a bike rack. You can travel yeah. with it. You know, we sometimes go to Key West. We put it in the suitcase, take it down to Key West, and then you ride your bike all over Key West. Um, wow. Like that. Yeah, that would be awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, I see a picture. I, I needed someone to, I see a picture of someone holding it. Now it makes sense of how small it really gets. Yeah, it's fun. So I can't go on like the mountain biking trails or anything like that anymore, but there you go. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's just reckless craziness. Anyways, I, I've known some people that do that. <laughs> and have you seen the video? They have videos of people like with those cameras on that just fly yes. down those mountains. Yeah. I've often said in my next life, you know, if I, if I, if I come back and I live again, I want to be an extreme sports person. I want to yeah. do that kind of stuff. That'd be fun. Agreed. You know, I think what I said, I'd want to be a coast guard rescue swimmer. That's what I would That's do. what you want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Part two. I, I actually would, do I, CrossFit do with a guy from that. They actually drop him from the helicopter. Yeah. So you've been in the military, so that would be nothing yeah. for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. We used to make fun of the Coast Guard too, but you know, that particular job is tough. So. <laughs> Coast Guard guys are hot. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here. <laughs> but so are Marines. You're a Marine, right? Thank you. You may stay. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. But they uh, drop them out. They yeah. do all these like drop them out in the middle of the ocean from the helicopter and then YouTube has a whole a series on that. Out. And we were just, my kids and I were just watching it like, whoa, so cool. Picking people up from a cruise ship, you know, that need medical assistance. Super wow. cool. Super you know, cool. Open that helicopter door. Cause I've done skydiving, but it'd be another <laughs> thing to just hook yourself up, lower me down. That'd be cool. That That's be what cool. you want to do. Yeah. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. That would be, it's a lot of, boy, that's a lot of hard. Swimming is hard. And everyone on the cruise ship is like, hey, and you're like, bye-bye. <laughs> off to save someone else. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. All in a day's work. Seriously. So, hey, um, where can people connect with you? They want to reach out probably because we just got schooled on PR and they want to just like, teach me more. Yeah. Uh, they can go to our website, mm -hmm. jotopr.com, J-O-T-O-P-R.com. What does that stand for? What is that? Johto. Yeah. It's an ancient Japanese word. Cool. It means very high class, very high quality. Oh, no shit. Yes. Yes. Shit. High class, high quality. Yes. It's an ancient word. Mm -hmm. Johto. I feel like I need to use that. I know you do. It's like Johto. That's a great word. <laughs> we so need an anime hero or something for our brand. We really yeah. do. Like Johto. Jojo's here, but yeah, they can go to our website. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I love that. I think I have too many people now, so people have to connect with me. I can't connect with them, so please do. Okay. Carla Sweet. Joe Helms, Carla with a K. Uh, Twitter, at Joto PR. Okay. Quality, high quality PR. High quality PR, yes. Yes, yes, awesome. Well, you know, thanks for hanging out with me today. Just Yes. You know, I know I got you out of the gym for just a second, just so you could come and, you know, chit chat and school me. It on was PR. fun. Yeah. I hope that your listeners really learn something about it. I hope that I helps. So. I'm here to answer questions if they do. I know they did because I literally have two pages of notes. Wow. There. What do you do with those notes? You know, I, that's been the question of what to do with these notes. I don't know. I feel like you should just 
put them in a binder and sell the binder or something. You should take all snippets from the notes and actually put them on social media, like my guest well, said. We do. We do. Have, we'll ha- we have we show do. notes. Yeah, you we have show that. notes and social from that. Do you keep all your notes? Um, usually, but then they add up and then you're just like, what do you do with them? You know? Well, we should keep them in a binder. I should. And, go, and figure something out, right? I should. Yeah. Yeah. Put, wrap it in string, you know, as one of those old packets cool. of papers yeah it'd be cool totally. thank well, you yeah you're the best thank you you're the most gracious host awesome that's yeah, cool i know welcome. you do a lot of these things so that's very that's very cool i appreciate it yeah very great you made me feel very comfortable talking about me yeah well you're the star it's you yeah. today <laughs> i am that's correct <laughs> yes and then tomorrow it's someone else but today today it's you it's all about me right now that's it yeah <laughs> and on that note Thank you all for listening. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.